Welcome into it. This is the Rocky Top Rewind, VolQuest.com. I'm Eric Kane alongside Brent Hubs. Got a fun show coming up here tonight. We're going to be with you here live from 8 until 9 Eastern. We got Jesse Simonton coming on at about 8.25. Also price at 8.45. Tons to discuss uh, regarding Tennessee's 34-27 overtime win at Pittsburgh around the uh, the weekend of college football and plenty more Brent Hubs. A pretty good, you know, fun weekend of college football, of course, uh, you know, for, for our clientele, Tennessee getting a win on the road against a ranked team is, is a good way to start the season here in week two. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And uh, we love college football because it's just crazy and whack. And uh, it, it was certainly uh, crazy around the country. We'll talk more about that throughout the hour, but certainly Tennessee uh, with an overtime win over Pittsburgh, 34 to 27. You see the stats there on the screen. Um, a lot of good-looking stats, Eric, when you, when you look at this. I mean, Hendon Hooker's got 27 completions. That's a career high. Another 300-yard game for him. Um, you, you see Cedric Tillman with 162 yards in, in the game as he had nine catches. But upon rewatching that today, both of those guys, I felt like Eric left a lot of yards out on the field. I mean, and it, look, I don't want to take anything away from Tennessee winning the football game, okay? Because as I mentioned on, on the GQ uh, late last night, early this morning, Josh Heupel's got two road wins over ranked opponents in 15 games at Tennessee. Okay. You, you take Derek Dooley, Lane Kiffin, Butch Jones, Jeremy Pruitt, all of them combined had two road wins over ranked opponents in over a decade span of football. So keep in context where you've been, but at the same time too, Eric, you look at it and say what it could have been Saturday and what it needs to be moving forward. If Tennessee is going to build the way that they want to build from year one to year two. Yeah, no doubt. Kind of the way I look at it, and I've seen a lot of chatter, and I understand we kind of live in a, you know, what have you done for me lately? It needs to be better. We need instant gratification, and and I get it. Uh, Tennessee could have beat this team by 20 points yesterday, in my opinion, but it's much better discussing ways that you can improve and get better for SEC play with a 2-0 record, going up to Pittsburgh, getting that win. The win is the most important thing, and Tennessee was able to get that and then kind of learning how you could build off it from there. Uh, Tennessee was over was able to overcome two 10-point deficits in the first half. Um, you know, came back, took the lead there in the second quarter, got a field goal there towards the end of the, the, the first half uh, from a, a Tyler Barron's trip sack. You know, we talked about pressure. Tennessee dialed it up, got some pressure on Keaton Slovis as well as, as Nick Patty. And there's a lot of positives from this football game. But obviously, just like you pointed out with Hooker and Tillman, I think they left a lot out there on the field. I don't think this was the best day for the offensive line. Um, the third quarter for both teams, really, they just said, do you want to win? Do you want to win? I mean, Tennessee didn't do anything offensively in the third quarter, scored four, three points in the fourth quarter, but was able to come back and respond just as they did in the first quarter and win that football game. So most important things, you win the football game, obviously, and then you you kind of learn how you, you can rebound from here. Overall, I mean, Pitt's team, we know this. We talked about it all week. They're good in the front seven. Knew they were going to be better against Tennessee than they were against West Virginia. Uh, they got after it. Um, I, I thought the uh, you know the offensive line wasn't the best day. Couldn't run the football, obviously. But seeing what some players did, like Cedric Tillman, like Hendon Hooker stepping up, uh, you know, like Jacob Warren on that long touchdown run to set up the first touch, uh, t- uh, long reception to set up the first touchdown run of the game. That was good to see for Tennessee that they didn't back down. Obviously, against Pittsburgh. No, I thought they matched their physicality in the front pretty well. Um, and, and we'll and we'll dive into that and certainly want to take your, your questions. So jump into the comment box 
Uh, also hit the like uh, on the screen and, and like this video, but jump in on the comment box. We'll take uh, questions there and, and, and discuss what you wish to discuss as we break down this game and, and talk about plenty of things here over the course of, of the next hour. Uh, you know, I, I think that you, you left a lot out there. It could have been, should have been, would have been, all this other stuff, and, and, and all that's true. But there's also some positive things, as you mentioned, and some individuals. I tell you a guy who stuck out to me a little bit but because he didn't stick out to me, and that's Gerald Mincy. You know, we, we, we talked about this a week ago on, on this show and, and other podcasts and things through the week, Eric. It's a situation where you just didn't know what Gerald Mincy or, or J.J. Crawford could do at left tackle because Ball State didn't challenge you. I can't – it's been a while since Tennessee's had an opening game that offered less perspective on who they were and what they needed to be or where they needed to go than what Ball State did. I mean, Ball State offered nothing last week to give you any kind of tip on where Tennessee was going to play a team like Pitt because of the style Ball State played with on both sides – there was really nothing to gain out of that. Pitt learned a lot more about themselves in the West Virginia game because mm -hmm. hey, it's a better opponent, but style stylistically, it was more appropriate for them. It was closer to what Tennessee wants to do. Whereas ball state does nothing like Pittsburgh wants to do, but I thought Mincy was, was pretty solid, particularly in pass protection. I didn't think he was great in a run game, but I don't think anybody blocked well up front. I don't think the running backs had a great day uh, back there either. Uh, but, but if there's a positive on the offensive line for me, it's the fact that Gerald Mincy, other than one holding penalty, wasn't at, didn't look out of place, which I think is a very positive sign for Tennessee on what was probably one of their biggest, if not the biggest, question on offense throughout the entire offseason. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a thankless job, right? And if, you, if you're looking to see who performed well on the offensive line, you got to sit there and think, okay, who – doesn't stick out as getting blown by or giving up a big sack or anything. And uh, I'm not saying Gerald Mincy played perfect, and I know you're not either, but I can I can remember a couple of times where, you know, Javante Spragans got blown off the ball or, or you, you saw Cooper Mace turn around and watch somebody go. Uh, Darnell Wright on the other side as well, Jerome Carvin. Can't think of many times that I saw Gerald Mincy do that. Of course, he had the big hold in overtime, uh, you know, negating that touchdown for Hendon Hooker. But, you know, that's football. It happens. But I, I'm with you. I think – you know, they rode with him the entire football game. And so I think that there's no doubt about it who the left tackle is for this football team. I think it's Gerald Mincy. Another positive I have for this football game, if we could shift to the other side of the football, if you'll allow it, you know, we, we, we discussed, and we, we didn't overblow it, I don't feel like it. But, I mean, you had, you had no sacks. You only had a couple of TFLs against Ball State. We talked about how they schemed it up, getting the ball out of their hands quickly. But you still should have got home a little bit more. Tennessee – was getting after it against Pittsburgh. And they had some injuries on the right side of the offensive line. I understand that. But even before Wesley Walker, talk about a prime uh, you know, chance to get the first sack of the season right there on fourth down. Even before he got home there, Aaron Beasley, you see at the top of the stat sheet right here, he was hitting Keaton Slovis as soon as he let it go of the football. Jeremy Banks hit him one time. Uh, Karad Garland got back there a few times. Uh, Tyler Barron as well. They were getting back there and affecting the passer. And then obviously at the end of the day, you look back and you see the overall stats, and Tennessee got home on uh, four separate occasions, had nine TFLs, and Brent, it says 16 quarterback hurries. I'm not sure if that's the same as a quarterback hit, but I think both of those should have been up in the 20s because Tennessee was living in that backfield, getting after both Patty and, of course, Keaton Slovis. Yeah, and, and they did it with a variety of players, too, as you mm -hmm. mentioned. You know, they come – sometimes it was coming a star blitz or maybe it was a safety blitz, as we saw with Trayvon Flowers in overtime. Uh, I thought Tyler Barron was as physical as Tyler Barron's been in his Tennessee career, which I, I think is a very positive sign 
for Tennessee. He's obviously got to stay healthy, but but I thought that's as well as Tyler Barron has played and as as physical as he's played in his entire Tennessee career. So uh, I, I I liked what they did. I, I liked what um, Rodney Garner did, just grabbing snaps here and there. You know, with, with Elijah Simmons gets twenty snaps. Uh, by, by Bryson Eason gets twenty snaps. Now that you know they hung their hat on Omari Thomas as much as they could, but then they got into that that fast pace rush, you know, where they slid Tyler Barron inside. I thought Roman Harrison was active. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that they're. I mean, I, I know they're not. I don't think they're great up front by any means, but they're better and they're they're deeper. And and, and Rodney Garner, to me, is really the only coach who stood by what he said in the preseason when he said, I'm going to play a bunch more guys. You know, Dominique Bailey's on the yeah. field. I mean, they're, they're out there playing. You didn't I mean, see he, that at safety, did you, Brent? Well, you didn't see that. Look, I think they played 13 or 15 players on offense total. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they, they did. I mean, Ramel Keaton was the only receiver that played that wasn't a starter. Um, they just didn't play any, you know, any extra bodies on offense. They really cut that receiver rotation down big time. Um, you know, played only two tailbacks in the game, which didn't really surprise me with the tailbacks, but yeah. I thought they might rotate a little bit more at receiver than what they did, but they got real content playing with just those three guys. Um, and really it was, it was Jalen Hyatt and, uh, and Cedric Tillman because they only targeted Brew McCoy four times, which is not enough in my opinion. He's got to get more targets because I, I think he's uh, got a chance to be a terrific weapon for them. Um, but Rodney Garner played his people. He played a lot of people. And, and I think that's a benefit and will continue to benefit them up front. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see where they go in the secondary, what they do there defensively. Uh, but then Aaron Beasley, look, Jawan Mitchell may be back this week, but Aaron Beasley is not taking the backseat to anybody. There's no way, in my opinion, that Jawan Mitchell jumps into a starting lineup or, or plays a whole bunch more over um, – you know, Aaron Beasley with the way mm-hmm. Beasley's played the first two weeks. I, I think Beasley's been, to me, the biggest defensive surprise of anybody through two weeks of play so far. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and I saw you made mention of this in your review piece. I made mention of this uh, as well. Um, he's more instinctive, it appears. He's patient. Um, he's trusting his reads. And he's running the alleyway and going to make tackles. I've been impressed with him, just as you said, more than more than anybody really on this entire team so far this football season. We'll see if it sustains as you get into SEC play. But when Juwan Mitchell gets back into the fold, he'll be a compliment. But he's not taking away snaps from Aaron Beasley right now the way he's playing. Staying on the defensive side of the football, something else I was really pleased with and watching the defensive line got their hands up. Um, and, and you know, I, I think the PBU stats, if you look in the in the in the book at the end of the game, sometimes they can be misleading. I saw Amari Thomas get his mitts on at least two. Jeremy Banks as well. I know he's a linebacker. Um, Karat Garland got up there and got a, got one or two. Tyler Barron as well, rushing the passer, pushing the pocket, and then even if you don't get home, get your hands up and disrupt the pass. That just goes, ask Amari Thomas that after the football game, and he said, we rep that every single day. And so it's good to see what that looks like come, you know, on Saturdays. Warren Burrell targeted 10 times in this football game, gave up seven receptions. Kamal Haddon targeted 10 times in this football game, gave up four receptions. One of those receptions uh, Warren Burrell gave up was the touchdown. That was a really good throw, really good catch at the end of the ball game. Kamal Haddon, easily Tennessee's best cornerback right now, but I'm with you. I'm intrigued to see what this looks like moving forward if they start to play Christian Charles a little bit more. Didn't have as much run in this football game, of course, as he did against Ball State. 
Yeah, and and you know, when asked about Warren Burrell leading up to the pit game, it was a lot of praise from Tim Banks and from Josh Heupel and about all those guys. And and you didn't and from those guys, you didn't know if that was trying to build his confidence up or if there's really something there that we missed. You know, when you see it, but but clearly teams are going after Warren Burrell, um, and they're going to continue to go after Warren Burrell. If if you're and, and Will Overstreet talked about this, and Jason Swain talked about this on um, the Big Orange Countdown on the Vault Network leading up to the game, and, and that is if you're going to blitz that much, you have to play complementary football on the back end in the secondary, because if you're blitzing, there's a hot route for the receiver. Mm-hmm. That means you've got to trust as a corner, you got to trust that your blitz is going to get home, that the guy's going to get there to force the quarterback to throw it early. If that's the case, you got to play more aggressively. I think Kamal Haddon plays aggressively and, and plays closer. I think Warren Burrell gives up a little bit too much ground, but I don't know if he's afraid of the ball getting over his head or giving up a big play, but it seems like Warren Burrell's playing a little more react after the ball is out versus playing the route to try to meet try to meet the ball at the receiver so to speak uh, particularly against the blitz stuff so we'll, we'll see what they do there I mean is Brandon Turnage going to be a factor do they do they get D Williams at any point in time I know he's been banged up where is that one at um, are they pretty comfortable rolling with the three seniors and Kamal Haddon um, I like what Wesley Walker does um, you know I, I would you know I know he reps some at safety I'd be interested to see him in a little rotation at safety back there, maybe mm-hmm. to see what happens there. I don't know what they're going to do, but um, th- they've got to tighten some things up in the secondary, particularly if they're going to blitz that much to, to help the defensive line out. They've got to play more complimentary back end to front end, tie it in better. Yeah, complimentary football, like what we're talking about with Tyler Barron, the strip sack, getting the possession back and kicking a field goal before the half. That is complimentary football and, and another area that w- what you're discussing, but that's what it looks like. At safety, I, I thought Wesley Walker might get some run at, at safety as well, uh, but we haven't seen him play at safety a whole lot. Of course, he's been playing the star a little bit with Tamari McDonald, but Trayvon Flowers, it, it's a game It's a game to where he had some highs and he had some lows. Had an incredible interception there in the back of the end zone in quarter number one where, where Pitt was driving. I think Kamal hadn't got his hand on that as well. That's a big play. Later in the first half, he gets hurdled by the tight end, Gavin Bartholomew. Um, of course, he gets truck sick later in uh, one of those runs uh, for uh, Israel, whatever his name is. And then, of course, he comes away with the the muff punt, which was not great, but has the big sack there towards the end of the football game that really pinned them back fourth and 20, you know, fourth and goal from the 20 and kind of won that game for Tennessee. So uh, the highs and lows from Trayvon Flowers made some big plays, but obviously made some bonehead plays as well that that put Tennessee in a bind. Well, and I think that's what just Tennessee's got to clean up, you know, yeah. and, and that's some of the questions we're getting coming in now. One of those earlier was asked about uh, from this is from Colin uh, Gorham. Why, why did we feel so shaky on offense? I guess it's just a rhythm thing. Um, can't get the first first down, put punting more often than not. You know, the, Tennessee was really poor on early downs. I had that, you know, something on that in, in my 10 things, I think, when I rewatched. Um, that they're in third and long because they were just bad um, too many times on first down. I mean, nearly half of their first down plays in the game went for two yards or less, which really took them out of rhythm. I didn't think Hooker was very sharp to start. He got in that rhythm for those three touchdowns, you know, in the second quarter to get things going. And then they had a hard time finding any rhythm in the second 
or in the, you know, in the second half total, but certainly in the third quarter, when they got a little rhythm going, they self-destructed with a penalty or, uh, you know, the fumble by Jalen Wright. Um, you know, I don't think they're shaky. I just think they never, they just never got into a rhythm because they weren't, they didn't stay ahead of the sticks well enough, Eric, which allowed Pitt to do all the crazy things they want to do on third down, which was obviously a real challenge for Tennessee's offensive front. Yeah. I mean, running the football and having success running the football on first downs helps with that, you know, all the time. So, um, and it was difficult for Tennessee to run the football. Hendon ran pretty well, but of course, when you look at the overall stats at the end of the ball game, um, you know, sacks play into that. He only finished with 27. Of course, some of his runs were, you know, because he had to as well. I thought Jalen Wright ran the football pretty well, averaged over four yards or five yards a carry, but you can't fumble the football. And when you fumble the football, you saw he didn't get another carry uh, the rest of the football game. Jabari Small, I kind of joke the entire. Uh, you know, post game and the two minute drill on the podcast and all that. A fantasy workhorse for you. Um, early in the football game, I think he had four carries, eight yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, just not a lot of green grass for Jabari Small in that football game. And a lot of that, of course, is coming on first down. So you got to play, you got to get in the two, the second and five, second and sixes in order to not get you behind the sticks. We got another one here, Brent, from uh, from Big Shot Rob. It says, do you guys think Hyatt should be targeted more downfield? I feel like Tillman. Uh, can consistently get behind DBs, so can Hyatt. I feel like they don't send Hyatt downfield a lot. They sent him on that wheel route against Ball State last week. Didn't see a lot of that uh, you know, yesterday against Pittsburgh. Obviously, Tillman goes down there, but I feel like you talk about rhythm, just throwing him the outs, the outs, trying to get something going, specifically in the fourth quarter, kind of using him as not necessarily a possession receiver, but a guy just to uh, get to the sticks and move on and see what you can get to get that offense in a flow. I kind of, I think that's how they kind of used Hyatt a lot yesterday. Yeah, they did. I was a little surprised at, at two things when I looked at the passing stats um, and, and looked at them through pro football focus as well. They were very right-hand dominant, okay? Um, and what I mean by that, they threw the ball to the right side something like 23 times. I think Hooker was 17 of 23 on throws to the right. They rarely threw the ball to the left. Um, Tillman did not, have a, did not have a catch on the left side of the field. I don't know how many times he even lined up on the left side of the field. Not much, I doubt. Um, Brew McCoy had four catches. They were all on the left side of the field. So it, it was kind of weird. They, they, almost, they almost cut the field in half in the passing game with the way that they played it, which was a little bit of a surprise to me with all of the single safety high stuff that Pitt was playing because you thought the middle of the field would be more open than it was. Now, they hit Jacob Warren on a really good play. But, but they never could kind of get into that rhythm. And maybe that was because they were behind the stick so much that it felt like, you know, second and 10, you know, can't take another chance here. We, let's see if we can get five yards, find a way to get five yards and make third down manageable, which they didn't do enough of that either. Um, I would like to see Jalen Hyde a little more vertical in, in the passing game, um, particularly moving forward. Uh, but but I, I think Hendon Hookers needs to spread the ball around a little bit more. And listen, Jalen Hyatt, or excuse me, Cedric Tillman's his most comfortable guy. And if, and if Tillman doesn't have three or four drops, he sets a school record for passing yards yesterday. And mm -hmm. it's not, I mean, he shatters the record in my opinion. I mean, he blows the Kelly Washington record right out of the water. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, I don't think Hooker's eyes were always the best uh, on Saturday. He didn't play bad. I don't, I don't mean to suggest that Hendon Hooker played bad. He's 27 of 42 for 325, two touchdowns, no interceptions completed 64% of his throws. So it's not there's like just another awful. level that he I, I just, hasn't hit yet. Well, there's so much talk about him in the preseason about how much he had improved, been able to move DBs with his eyes and how much he was seeing the field even better. 
I thought he got a little dependent on Cedric Tillman. Now, it worked out for Tennessee, obviously, to the good. But well. it, it was kind of like that was the only place he was going, it felt like, at times, just because they were so helter-skelter in terms of getting their rhythm going. And of course, Tillman had a good game, but there, you know, there was a there was a pass in the first quarter where Hooker overshot him could have been a touchdown. There was a fourth down drop from Tillman in the first quarter to where it was a tight window, but that's a pass you got to catch. There was a pass in the end zone to where it hit Hillman in both hands and into the helmet. That could have been a touchdown. Um, there were again, you know, talking about Hendon Hooker and Cedric Tillman, they left some things out there. Regardless of that stat line for Tillman, nine catches, one hundred sixty-two yards, and a touchdown. You know, Brew McCoy, it was so fascinating to me is a lot of times last year with Javante Payton on the other side, you saw Tillman and Bayless Jones just kind of operate on one side of the field, and you saw Hooker just stay there. And after the first quarter, he never looked back. That's kind of the joke to Javante Payton. That kind of reminded me a lot, so, you know, watching that football game at Pitt yesterday is kind of last year. And Brew McCoy, four targets, four receptions, one of which was for a big uh, first down later in the fourth quarter to where – he bumped off a guy, broke a tackle, and got a first down. More of a weapon, obviously. Needs to be utilized more. And this is just one game. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, that doesn't uh, become a pattern. Also, on his touchdown reception there in the first half, gets pushed out of bounds. I'm not sure what Narduzzi was trying to challenge there. But coming back in, you see his eyes never leaving the football. The concentration able to haul that in. Tennessee's got to find a way to get the football to Brew McCoy a little bit more than what they did yesterday. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And, and you know, somebody had said, um, you know, move Brew inside to the slot, you know, and, and move and move Hyatt back outside. I don't I don't think that because I, I like Brew McCoy matched up one on one on the outside because I think he's got enough speed that a DB has to respect that. And if a DB is going to come crawl up in his face, I think he's got enough physicality to win that one on one matchup. I thought he had a winning matchup more times than not in the game on Saturday at Pitt. I just did not think um, – I did not think Tennessee and, and Hendon Hooker was aggressive enough in playing to that strength. I thought it could have won the 50-50 ball. Um, when they hit him on the deep shot, I thought, okay, this is it. They're getting ready to get going, really get going with McCoy because they had the advantage there. But they just didn't come back to that very often, which was a surprise to me. Again, Tennessee won – Hendon Hooker throws for 325 yards and sets a, a career high for completions. He was not bad. He just could have been better. And if he had been a little bit better, and if Tillman had caught a couple of balls that he dropped, Tennessee is not in overtime. That That's a game Tennessee wins by a couple of possessions. But they won. You move forward. You go to work. And, and you improve on thing, things this week against Akron, who, by the way, is a great opponent coming in this week. You know, it's it's every bit worth the hundred thousand dollars for Army not to be here this week, because <laughs> I, instead of spending the entire week working on an option that you're only going to see one time and you're going to scrap that whole game plan defensively, yeah, you can really go focus on your secondary improvement that you need to make. You can focus on things on offense because you're not playing such an unorthodox team as you would have in, in the Army game. So I know a lot of fans were mad. And, makes Tennessee look bad and gnashing of the teeth and all that. But Eric, I think when you look at it overall, it's, it, it's a hundred thousand dollars well spent for this season, for what your goals and hopes are with Florida on the docket the next week, it was a bad setup to play army the week before Florida. Cause it doesn't help you get ready for the Gators. 100%. It, it literally, you, it sounds bad to say, but you never want to play those type of games. You, you just no. don't because of everything you just pointed out, you are taking time away from preparing for an offense that you will Literally never see again. What the 
what's the best that can happen? Nothing really. You're you're expected to win the football game. What if you win a nail biter like Tennessee and Air Force? You know, way back when when I was a kid, it, it's just not a good look. So uh, I couldn't thanks agree with for you the, more. Thanks for the when I was a kid comment. That makes me feel really good because I, I was not a kid. It's interesting on that game. Philip Fulmer started getting out of the Army game when he got the AD job. And the reason he did was the Air Force game as a head coach because he just said, oh. we didn't learn anything from playing them. There's no benefit to playing one of those. Look, you play enough hard teams in the SEC, you do not want to lose a week of preparation and team building to go play something that you're never going to see again. So um, that, that actually plays into Tennessee's hands this weekend well that they're playing Akron instead of playing Army. Hey, Brent, we got Jesse Simonton coming up here in just a couple of minutes of on three to talk about the, the bigger picture in college football Woo! from the weekend. What a wild weekend. No doubt. I do want to get one question in real quick from this past sure. game uh, before we talk more about it with Austin. Uh, Dustin Phillips wants to know, do you think the punt formation should change or what's some of the, I mean, I'm not a coach, you're not a coach, but you know, in, in two games, they've almost had a couple punts blocked and then finally they did have a punt blocked. And, and that was in the second half. That was a horrible situation upon watching it with review. The line is blocking down. You have an up back in Craw Garland that is stepping in to, to help with the inside pressure and the guy off the edge comes unscathed, doesn't get touched, and he comes in and blocks the punt. What does Tennessee need to do there if you're Mike Eckler? Well, two things. I, I mean, I don't know enough schematics to know the answer to that, but but for sure. But one, you got to trust. You got to trust your inside punt shield to handle that inside guy because you cannot give an outside guy a free release to mm -hmm. to the punter. Okay, because that outside guy is your speed guy always. He's the one's going to have the best chance to get there. So he has got to step out if he sees that guy coming. And you know everybody up front's blocking down. That outside punch shield, to me, that guy has to take him one-on-one. -on -one. The other thing, too, is pa Paxton Brooks got to catch it and go. I mean, I don't, I've not put the stopwatch on him to see, but that wind-up's getting a little bit long. You know, in that situation, you know Pitt's having a hard time moving the football, right? You, you know they're looking for something in the short field. You got to think that they're coming there, and that's got to be – almost like you're punting out of the back of your end zone with a shortened um, distance because you're cramped there. That's a catch and punt. I mean, that's just mm -hmm. a catch and get it gone type deal. Don't give them any opportunity to generate anything there. So I think both Paxton Brooks can speed up his operation a little bit and, and clearly schematically somebody's got to communicate better because there's no way in the, in the schematics of what your punt formation was, you're supposed to turn that guy loose with that short of a distance to get to the punter. And also, too, if you just get in his way, step out there. I mean, it's supposed to be going snap, chip. punt, boom. Yeah. If you make him do a banana route, you yep. did your job. That, that's yep, all absolutely. you got to do. All you no got to do. All right. Jesse Zompany coming up next here from On3, the network, talking about college football. This is the Rocky Top Rewind, Tennessee, a 34-27 overtime win at Pittsburgh. We'll discuss it here for the next 30 minutes as well with Brent Hubs. I'm Eric Kane. Jesse Thompson coming up next right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Analog. I'm Brett Hubbs discussing Tennessee's overtime win at Pittsburgh from yesterday at Heinz Field. Now we're going to bring on Jesse Simonton of On3, formerly of VolQuest way back in the day. It wasn't that long ago. Jesse, what's going on, man? How you guys doing? What's up, Hubber? Hey, what's going on, Jesse? Hey, listen, appreciate you taking a few minutes. You've been doing some great stuff for people who haven't followed your, your coverage of college football, in particular the SEC. Jesse, 13-1 in week one was the SEC, and everybody's crowing about lots of crowing from the league office and everything about how great the league was. Now week two, we got A&M. 
you know, you got the you got the Florida Kentucky game. I, I get that. We'll dive into that one in a second. But 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 you also got Missouri, right? Vanderbilt, yee, not real good. I mean, what do you make of where's the SEC storyline coming out of week two compared to week one? I, you know, I think there was a lot of, like you said, a lot of folks crowing after week one that maybe the middle of the SEC was even better than some folks anticipated with LSU being the, the lone team that kind of face planted. But, you know, I have been skeptical all off season that this is going to be some sort of crescendo year for Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies. I mean, his, he just – he hasn't changed offensively. And so, you know, I, I have a column up. I do a Sunday superlatives deal. Uh, on on three where I have kind of some fun with it, you know, some uh, tongue-in-cheek stuff at times. But I, I used an old Spurrier quote that Spurrier used to burn Georgia about in the early 90s that, you know, they get all these players, and then when we get on the field, why do we are the team that seems to always have the better players? And I think we should be asking that about Texas A&M. They're recruiting the best athletes. They have all this speed, and yet they run in a tempo offensively uh, that just handcuffs them. And so they score seven points against an App State defense that allowed 56 the week before. Missouri, you know, I, I know Drink is considered kind of an offensive guru, but they have real issues at quarterback. They threw interceptions on four straight drives, Oof. I think, on Saturday. You know, I think some of the – I think some of the – maybe the Rose is off a little bit of the Shane Beamer bud. Uh, you know, they, they were extremely competitive, but I mean, they got the ball just ran down their throat by Arkansas this weekend. So I think some of these teams that maybe saw themselves uh, as maybe a bit, uh, maybe off the SEC pecking order. So what do you, what do you think, Jesse? Now, they serve best game on that they went on the I think Jesse's. I think Jesse's froze up there um, for a second. We'll see if we can get him back in just a minute. It, it is interesting when you look at the SEC in general, Eric. And and I know we were focused on Pitt and, and looking at Pitt. That you know, in the in the Pitt game, that you know, yesterday was our coverage. But when you go back and look around at things, you know, Alabama did some very un-Alabama things in the Texas game, even though they came back to win. Uh, A and M was certainly a head scratcher uh, for sure. Um, it's just a reminder that the hot, the week one hot takes, you better be real careful with because <laughs> you could, you could be made out to look pretty bad in week two. If you go too far down the road with some of those hot takes, I mean, Anthony Richardson was the cat's meow a week ago and he's certainly not become a bad player or anything mm -hmm. like that, but there's some reality that starts to set in after a couple of weeks of play as well. And I think that jumped out in the sec certainly um, on Saturday, when you look at what happened around the league. Oh, for sure. And I mean, Anthony Richardson, he's, he's good athlete. He's a good player. Um, NFL scouts That's why I keep saying that he's, he's an NFL caliber quarterback because, you know, scouts see him and say, Oh, I want that. I can teach him. I can coach him. And I mean, he's, if you don't think he's going to present challenges for Tennessee in two weeks, then you don't know football because it's going to happen. But uh, his issues throwing the football really. And against uh, Utah, he didn't throw the football particularly well in, in that win for Florida. And he for sure didn't throw it well against Mark Stoops in Kentucky. So you know, we'll have to see. Kentucky, on the other hand, I mean, I'm sitting here looking at the AP Top 10, Brent Hubs, and this says Kentucky's a Top 10 team alongside Arkansas at 9 and 10. I don't know if I'll buy that much, but uh, you talk about overreaction, but 
you know, Kentucky might be solid showing they were a good team despite having some issues in the backfield right now. No Chris Rodriguez and, of course, another injury uh, to to their running back stable. So you got to be careful with the week one overreactions. I think it's safe to say Georgia is a good football team. I'm going to yeah. say that one. I think Alabama will be okay. But Florida was high last week. Florida's really low this week. And I'm intrigued to see kind of what it looks like here in two weeks, especially when Tennessee plays Florida. Yeah, I thought it was interesting in that Florida-Kentucky game. First of all, give Kentucky credit. I thought they tackled tremendously. Yeah. Uh, and I thought they did a really good job of not letting kind of the breakdown track meet plays take off with with Anthony Richardson. I thought Kentucky was really, really good there defensively, kind of just sort of building a wall and keeping him hemmed in and said, hey, beat me with your arm. The, yeah. the crazy thing is Jesse Simon rejo- Jesse Simonton rejoins us here. I didn't understand Billy Napier's thought process with four minutes to go in the game and three timeouts, fourth and six from inside his own 30, saying, I'm going to win the game or lose the game right here. And he wasn't going to win the game if he made the first down. He would extend the drive. But if you don't make the first down there, Jesse, ball game's over. I, I, that was a strange decision to me with three timeouts left, given where Kentucky was and what they were doing offensively. Absolutely. I don't know why. You know, I understand that Florida has some defensive depth concerns, but this is where it's kind of fun to play the Monday morning quarterback, right? Because a week ago they beat Utah, and Billy Napier's clock management in that game was strange as well. He basically decided that I'm going to run out the clock and that I'm just hoping he doesn't have enough time to go all the way down and score. That didn't happen. Utah had enough time. They just threw the ball to you in the end zone. Well, this week, fourth and four, or fourth and three, four minutes to go, like you said, he has all his timeouts. He decides to go for it. They call a slant to probably one of their slowest ride receivers from a quarterback who's been running hot all game in terms of throwing the ball too hot. He throws the ball 100 miles an hour. They miss it there. He then doesn't call the timeouts. It was just a, I, I, I wrote it in today. I thought it was a completely strange decision. Um, and that's back to back weeks. It worked out for him. In week one, it made no sense in week two. I gave a big shout-out to Brad White, Kentucky D.C. I thought he, you know, devised a fantastic game plan of keeping Richardson in the pocket and really kind of uh, making him panic on a lot of throws. You know, he only ran the ball four times a week after rushing for over 100 yards. Impressive performance. I'm still very skeptical about Kentucky's offense. I think that line is shaky. Levis still has kind of some YOLO in him. Um, but defensively, I mean, Mark Stoops said it after the game, you know, this is a team that win or lose, they're going to play with their guts. They're going to play hard. Uh, and that's what they did. They kind of brought their lunch bill and they, they, they left the swamp with a huge win. Hey, Jesse, what do we make of Arkansas? You know, really good start of the season, obviously went over Cincinnati last week. Uh, that was expected by most. Um, and, and then you go on the road at South Carolina, who's not a world beater, but Spencer Rattler, a pretty decent game. He had one turnover or he had one interception, but almost threw for 400 yards. But going on the road, getting a win, uh, playing behind their athletic quarterback and, and their good run game. Is Arkansas a top 10 team in the country like the AP believes it is? Uh, I mean, they're a top 10 team right now. I mean, that's, you know, that right now it's a, the, the, the beauty of college football is just, it's a small sample size sport, right? So through two games, they have two of the better wins in the country right now. So they can say that you know we deserve to be uh, highly ranked. I, I, I am dubious uh, that they're going to be able to survive, A, 
some of these early injuries they've already suffered. The fact that they lost Catalan, who might be one of the better safeties in the conference, out for the out for the season now. They've had some other injuries in the secondary. I think those are going to catch up with them. Um, it probably behooves them that they get A&M at the end of the month in Dallas, where A&M coming off this terrible loss. They got to play Miami next week. Uh, but, I, you know, they play a brutal schedule. I mean, I have no idea what – I don't know if it was Yurcevich or I don't know which, which AD – uh, or scheduler um, for the for the Razorbacks decided, hey, in the middle of SEC play, let's fly across the country and go to Provo and play BYU. I mean, that's just yeah. right, I, Hubs. I mean, that's a yeah. fireable offense. Yeah, I mean, ask ask that's Baylor how that went. Offense. Ask Baylor how that went for him at two o'clock in the morning Eastern time. That you know earlier today. Uh, that you just there's no benefit to going to, to that one. I mean, listen. You're in the SEC. You're going to get enough credibility winning in this conference. You don't have to go play those types of matchups. And, and that game's going to be late. Nobody's going to be watching it, so you're not going to get any national credibility for it anyway. It, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, here's the other thing that, that that I wanted to ask you, Jesse. Two, two questions, and we'll, we'll let you get out of here because I know you got a bunch of stuff to write. What do you make of the Alabama performance against Texas – Bryce Young's obviously great in what he did at the end, but what do you make of that overall performance? And two, is the Eastern Division, are they closing the gap on the West as a whole with given where Georgia's at compared to Alabama and then kind of slotting after that? Is the East closing the gap on the Western Division that's been so dominant in this league for the last half decade to decade? I I they certainly seem to be. I mean, you know, the fact that I think Florida may uh, continue to, to kind of make some uh, ascension. You obviously have Kentucky, you guys there in Knoxville, Tennessee, tons of excitement there. I mean, they're coming off another big win. What they do against the Gators in two weeks, um, I think should, should tell us a whole lot. Uh, but to your, to your second question, I do think because of the issues at Auburn, because of, I mean, I, I, I've written all off season. I think LSU is kind of the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde team. You, you never know one week or the other what you're going to get from them because they're starting 22, and now they are down Mason Smith, who's one of the top defensive linemen. But they're starting 22, maybe minus the quarterback, uh, is pretty darn good. But their depth is just – I mean, it's been rated because of, you know, transfers and, and – uh, some some strange recruiting efforts to Alabama. I wrote a column after you know yesterday on this very subject. Hubs, uh, I was concerned before the season about the wide receiver room and about the offensive line room. And I think the fact that they were so aggressive and not only going to get Jermaine Burton, who is definitely not Jamison Williams or John Mechie, but they also got Tyler Harrell, the speedster from Louisville, who didn't play on Saturday because. Uh, I think he's dinged up, also in kind of the doghouse, apparently. And then they really went after Jordan Addison. I mean, that was when, like, the, you know, Bama was kind of the the runner-up or the number three team to Texas uh, with, with Addison going out to USC. I mean, that speaks volumes about where Saban thought this wide receiver room was, that they needed to add three transfers to this, you know, this football wide receiver factory in the last five years has just been churning out first-round picks. So – they didn't get any separation against the Texas 12. Um, and then the offensive line could not block. I mean, whether it was they, you know, Bill O'Brien effectively abandoned the run because he didn't think they could run. Uh, and, and so I, I do think 
is that flaws that will show up against anybody but Georgia and Ohio State and maybe one other team? Maybe not, but it could be something that ultimately, you know, um, I think caps the the ceiling of an Alabama team that many, and, and I certainly thought they were, you know, probably the title favorites entering the season. Maybe there, maybe there really is just three teams together, and there's not one team uh, that's considered like you know so far ahead of the pack. This is supposed to be some revenge tour season. If that be the case, Saban's got two big flaws. He's he's got to figure out how to fix. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. And, and Jesse, as as we all know, it's the small sample size, as you said earlier. It's a week to week sport. Okay, I mean you you, you never know. You're Jekyll and Hyde. It seems like everybody is. We've already had a coach fire, fired. I guess Trev Alberts just wanted to take care of his buddy Scott Frost and pay him the full buyout instead of waiting 20 days and, and saving his university $7 million. But you've already got a coaching change at Nebraska going on. Could be SEC implications there as well. We'll see what Nebraska ultimately ends up doing. Notre Dame lo- loses at home. Just a fascinating week, two in college football that, that sets up for what is going to be just a – obviously a crazy season for, for sure. So, hey, man, we're going to catch up with you in a couple of weeks, talk about the SEC some more, talk about the rest of college football uh, around the country and seeing what all is going on. Keep up the good stuff, man. I, I love what you're doing, uh, your takes on Sunday and, and your postgame stuff as well as everything leading up. If everybody's not checking you out, they're crazy for not doing it. Great stuff about the entire conference to follow. Thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate you. All right, that's Jesse Simonton joining us here uh, on the Rocky Top Rewind. Eric, he doesn't appreciate it, you. Uh, no, it's it's good. It's it's <laughs> all good. But um, it, it is a fascinating couple of weeks. I mean, it really is. And, and it's it's college football. And, and finally, parity has gotten to uh, – it's not NFL level, but, you know, you, you just – suddenly now there's enough parity that the, the kicking game is more is as important or more important than it's ever been. I mean, it, the little things now – for, for a lot of these teams um, are, are just in, it's just kind of wild to watch. I mean, the first two weeks of the season have been really, really crazy when you see what some of these smaller schools are doing on the road and, and some of the struggles that some power five schools have had as well. So uh, what we know is next week's going to be pretty crazy as well. Yep. Looking forward to it. And of course for Tennessee, it's a game against Akron to where you work on yourself and, and kind of take care of the win, but also look forward to SEC play that begins that next week. And, that's probably the next time we'll talk to Jesse Simonson of On Three. Uh, coming up next, though, here on the Rocky Top Rewind, we're going to join. We're going to be joined by Austin Price, reflect a little bit more on that Pittsburgh game, and discuss what Tennessee needs to accomplish this week against Akron. All coming up next, right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. We got about 15 minutes left here on this edition of the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Kane with Brent Hubs, and now Austin Price joins the party. Austin, an overtime win at Pittsburgh. You and I sat next to each other and watched that football game. Uh, Big takeaways for you in this game. Obviously, it, it is a game that Tennessee has – it's not won a lot over the last 15 years. No, it's not. And, uh, you know, they, they found a way. I thought Tennessee had their C, C-minus game. Obviously, Pittsburgh was it was, it was beaten up. You know, the Tennessee knocked Slovis out of the game. Their backup quarterback, and you know, had – you know, how many ligaments did he have left in his one knee trying to push off there at the end? I mean, not many. I mean – but, you know, Tennessee still found a way. They gutted through uh, some untimely mistakes in this football game. Uh, the muff punt, the fumble by Jalen Wright. I mean, you know, it, it was it was a calamity of errors in the second half when Tennessee had a chance to extend. 
and I don't even want to say run away, but just, you know, pull away where Pitt wasn't going to come back. You know, that the whole third quarter, you're waiting on Tennessee to do it and do it and do it. And they just never did. And, you know, credit, you know, we thought, you know, you and I both gave Chase McGrath little to no shot to make that 51-yarder, Eric, and he drilled it, and, yeah. and what a big kick that was. Um, so, you know, credit to defense. Aaron Beasley's 14 tackles led the team. Um, they were putting some terrible spots in the second half, and, you know, they did uh, a really nice job uh, on the whole. Even though, you know, Pitt's offense was depleted, they did a nice job of doing what they needed to do, and, and Tennessee found a way to move to 2-0 and when so, on a day when so many other teams – uh, lost home games against what would be called inferior opponents. Yeah, I, I mean, I just thought three plays stick out to me after I, I rewatched the game that just jumped out as just total momentum changers in in, in different ways. The Trayvon Flowers interception, Austin. If yeah. if he doesn't make that play there, and Tennessee goes down seventeen nothing, <laughs> we're talking about a total different football game, and it might be even different at thirteen nothing, but. They had a chance – I mean, Pitt had a chance to knock Tennessee out early, much the same way Tennessee had a chance to do that to Pitt a year ago in Knoxville and didn't do it. So that's play number one. Play number two is the block punt. If Pitt doesn't knock his own player out of bounds, that's a that's a walk-in touchdown there. Pitt ends up getting nothing out of it because they can't make the field goal. And then the third play is the Jalen Wright fumble in the third quarter. Tennessee just made a first down. You kind of thought, okay, here they go. They weren't in scoring territory, but rhythm felt like it was kind of coming. They just made the first down, moved the sticks, pits on their heels a little bit, and then bam, the fumble uh, was just the catastrophic. You can throw in the flowers, muff punt, but those three plays to me really jumped out as just total backbreakers for for both teams. I mean, two of them for Pitt and one for Tennessee, I, I thought were huge for for the for the layout of kind of how the football game went. Yeah, 100%. And you're right. That there was a mirror to, to a year ago when Tennessee had a chance to, to put you know Pitt in a really, really tough spot, and they failed to do it. Pitt had a chance to put Tennessee in a really, really tough spot. They failed to do it. And, uh, you know, Tennessee was finally able to get a little bit of traction there in the second quarter and, and go on a nice run, kind of the reverse of, you know, what Tennessee's been under Josh Heupel. Terrible in the first quarter this game and, and really much better in the second when it's been the opposite for the first 14 games of the Josh Heupel era or 15 games, whatever it is. Um, but, you know, this is a football team that, you know, continues to grow up a little bit and uh, they put it in the hands of their best players there at the end and Cedric Tillman and, you know, Hendon Hooker made a play. Yeah, they did. Let me, let me ask both of you guys this question, Eric. I'm going to jump in here. I know you had something ready. I'll let you come back in just a second. Sorry, but I want to ask both of you guys this because you, I mean, you know, Eric, covers games he's at every practice writes all the practice reports that we have and everything else when you when you spin forward moving forward to this week as you say going into the break Eric this is about Tennessee this week what are your top two priorities if you're Josh Heupel this week for your football team excluding getting the win what what, what are you focused on right now if you're if you're Heupel and the staff that you've got to see You've got to figure out this week using Akron to figure it out. What what are a couple things? Yeah, for me, I mean, I'll go first. First thing that jumps out at me is get special teams. Uh, yeah, as you, as you put in your ten things, Brent, uh, wasn't a whole lot of special and special teams. And again, it's just overshadowed by that muff punt. But that's something you can't have, okay? Um, muff punt and and the blocked punt. You got to fix those things. Uh, you know, D. Williams is is injured right now. You know, whatever his status is. 
you got to find someone they can get the, get back there and field a punt because I think it would be him if he was out there and he was able to go. Um, you got to figure out the, the punt team, whether it be going man because they're they're blocking a zone right now, or do something else because you almost had one blocked against Ball State, and then of course you have one blocked uh, against Pittsburgh. So you got to fix your special teams. I think the kickoff coverage has been fantastic, but. Um, that number one and then uh, number two I guess just kind of get back to it and it's so difficult because we talked about the Ball State game and how you didn't learn anything because Ball State was Ball State I mean guys Akron was two and ten last year so it's it's I want to say get back to running the football and start feeding those guys get those guys some confidence but you know what are you going to take from one game to the next you can take some special teams to fix some things there but that's what I would have and then I would just I guess my number two would be just get more guys rotated in the secondary Let's see what Wesley Walker looks like at safety. I want to see that. I don't know if we will. What about Danico Slaughter or Jordan Thomas or, or some of those other guys? Those are the two biggest things against Akron that I'm kind of looking for for Tennessee before you're tested again against Florida. Yeah, I mean, I think there are things you can work on, Eric, and so I agree. Um, but at the same time, do we believe that they're actually going to take anything that they do and be able to institute it against Florida? I mean, you know, coaches are all, not just the staff, everybody across college football, they're all creatures of habit. Um, you know, the rotation, you know, uh, gets paired way down. Uh, when you get into a tight game, they rely on, you know, veterans that have been in the program. Um, so, you know, to think that, you know, I, I know Walker's a veteran, but he ain't, he's not been here. He's been somewhere else. And so, you know, Walker, uh, Turrentine, you know, Brandon Turnage, you know, I mean, you, you can't tell me that they can't find a better combination in the secondary than what they currently have. Um, as far as more athleticism, um, you know, I just think that that's something you've got to improve upon going forward. And then Tennessee's got to, you know, improve their ability to run the football. Take Hendon Hooker's quarterback keepers away yesterday, and Tennessee's run game was – not very good. Jalen Wright showed flashes, and I thought he was having a pretty solid game for the carries he was given yeah. yesterday. But then once he fumbled, he went to no man's land and was not to be seen again. Yeah, and, I mean, here's what's going to be interesting. I think in this game we're going to see a bunch of Dylan Sampson, right? They're going to get Dylan Sampson, but but does it translate the next week? There you go. When he gets to the Florida game. I mean, that that's that's the thing. I mean, do you look at this and say, hey, I've got to see who's who, who I think can be – after two weeks of play and, and game prep, who's above the line and who's below the line, you know, on offense and defense. That, that line did not have a lot of people above it on, on offense Saturday. That's why they played 15 guys total on offense or something like that. I give Rodney Garner credit. He played a bunch of his guys, but, but there were some other places. They just didn't play a lot of bodies. And offensively, they played as few bodies as you possibly can. He did play a lot of bodies, but Omari Thomas still played 65 snaps, and I'm not yeah, sure that's, that he really – That's going to be a given. I mean, I well, think – Well, but I don't think he game. wants to play Omari 65 snaps. So, how can he find – you know, does, does he does he try to get Tyree West ready in a hurry to play some inside? Does, you know, does he start increasing things with, 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 with uh, Eason? You know, you know, what does he do there? Because I, I think he would in, – in a perfect world, again, perfect world, he would like to get Omari back down to about 45 to 50 and then disperse the other 15 to 20. Thought he had a good game yesterday too. Speaking of Omari Thomas, got Very his balls up there. Yeah. Thought, he, thought he played pretty well. Um, Joshua Josephs didn't see him a whole lot at Did all. Not play. Special yeah. Teams. Didn't, didn't, yeah. Unless he played a special, I don't think he played a special team yeah. snap. Maybe he did. Now James Pierce is like a 
heat-seeking missile going down on kickoff coverage. Yeah. That's the best-looking moving defensive end I've seen in a while. But, no, you, you know, you didn't see those guys. That was a physical game. Maybe they didn't think some of those guys were ready. I'm more, I was more surprised by the narrowing of things on the offensive side of the ball, I guess, than it was the defensive side of the ball. Because, I mean, look, Josh Heupel made it very clear. They're, they're not rotating safeties. They're not, they're not going to rotate safeties. Now, we'll see if they do anything at corner, but they're very – I mean, they're very comfortable where they are at safety. They got those two linebackers playing well. And then Rodney played a half dozen to 10 guys on the defensive front. But they played more defensive linemen than, or almost as many defensive linemen as they played offensive players in the game. I think they played 15, 13 to 15 guys on offense, which is not a lot for 80-some-odd snaps of football. Yeah, it's not. And again, you saw so many guys play against Ball State. And I'm, I'm intrigued because we're probably going to see so many guys play against Akron this week on the offensive end. But as we went back earlier in the show, Brand, I mean, you saw Romel Keaton get a couple of snaps at wide receiver. That was it. Jimmy Jimmy Callaway got he's listed on the on the sheet over here. I didn't see him unless it was a special teams rep. No, he he, he, he lined up a receiver a couple of times. Yeah, on the left side play. behind Brew McCoy. Yeah, and Christian Charles played I think two snaps in overtime uh, at, at defensive back. So you know we'll we'll see what that gets to. I, I want to get in. I want to mention this too. Matthew or Michael Little had this. This is something that. As much as the run game was a disappointment, I give Tennessee credit. Short yardage situations, they've been good for two games. They were good in short yardage yesterday. I know if Jalen Wright doesn't fumble, they're really good in short yardage. But, you know, this was a team that couldn't convert fourth and one a year ago against Pitt inside the 10 to to go win the football game, basically. They got in the end zone twice from the one-yard line running the football, and they had that run yesterday. So I will say that for the offensive front. They were – They've been better in short yardage for two games, which was a big offseason emphasis. We'll see if that can continue. Go ahead, Eric. Didn't see Hendon Hooker do a lot of short yardage running, though, yesterday as well, because, of course, you can do that against Ball State with a read option, pull it, get into the end zone. But that's something you didn't see yesterday. And, again, they were fine. But moving forward, could we maybe see that? And, and do we see that against Akron and kind of you know put that towards Florida? So uh, Tennessee, a week against Akron. Focus on yourself. I'm not sure about the, you know, the big takeaways after, you know, when we're doing this next Sunday, not after the Akron game, but we all know what's on the horizon two weeks from yesterday. That is Tennessee and Florida, and it'll be here before you know it. But as we said in the beginning, Tennessee's 2-0. Much rather be 2-0 and discussing on ways Tennessee can get better if you're the staff than 1-1 having a sour taste in your mouth going 0-2 in the Johnny Majors Classic. That was fun. Pittsburgh was fun, guys, and I think both fan bases really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think they did. And, and and Austin Eric makes a good point. I think that, you know, it's a it's a sign of growth and development. I know Josh Heupel talked about this afterwards. They found a way to win an ugly game, right? I mean, a year ago, they couldn't find a way to win against Ole Miss when it wasn't pretty in the second half. They couldn't close that deal out, right? I mean, you got to learn how to win close games and learn how to win ugly sometimes. And, and Tennessee found that yesterday. Did they Did they do it against a great opponent? I don't know. I don't think Pitt's going to the ACC championship game. They might because the ACC is not very good. Depends on where Slovis is at. But that was a physical, tough, hard-nosed football game that Tennessee answered the bell with from a physicality standpoint. Yeah, that's right. Again, C-minus game, C game at best. They found a way to win. That's not what would have happened in years past. When they went to overtime, I, I, I – thought we were going to see the same movie that we've seen over and over and over again, which is this like slow death by, you know, pin, you know, pin cushion. Um, 
you know, for the, the last voodoo doll. years. <laughs> and even the way they responded after the holding penalty went right back, didn't let yeah. him phase him. Yeah, didn't phase him. That's right. And so, you know, a two we got a two-week build. Two-week build to, to get to Florida. They win that one. They get a bye week. They get another two-week build to LSU. I love the way the schedule is kind of structured. It's it's definitely difficult. Uh, it's always going to be in this league, but you don't have that four-week run that you had uh, back in 2016 where you played Florida, Georgia, A&M, and Alabama in four consecutive weeks with no bye. Yeah, it's, it is a better deal. And you've talked about this, Austin, from on the podcast and things we've done back all the way early in the summer. This season's about September. What can you do in September? And Tennessee's put themselves in a situation to, to be to make it a great September because they found a way yesterday. We we all talked about the pit game being a pivotal game for this team for this season. I think that's why Josh Heupel was probably as ecstatic as anybody after the game. He loved the way his team competed, but I'm in the back of his mind. He knew how important getting that win was to set the stage for the end of the month with Florida coming to town. Yeah. You know, they always remember what you do in September, right? <laughs> and you just, you can use it however you want to use it. I mean, sure. But, but, but Tennessee to, to, to have a chance to be record wise to really grow Eric, they had to win September. And, and, and now that they're going to be, they're going to be three and O with Florida coming to town with a chance to sweep September or worst case scenario for them would be three and one. But everything now starts to ride on that Florida game. Well, if they beat if they beat if they beat Florida, they're four and zero, and at that point, eight and four is the absolute floor for this football team. And that's if everything goes poorly the rest of the way. And nine and three becomes very realistic. And anything better than that, people would be hanging from the rooftops. And again, it's something we discussed on the two minute drill. Those early season matchups where you came up short, Oklahoma comes to mind, West Virginia. BYU a couple years ago, Pitt last year, Tennessee got it done. So when September off to a good start, you should get a win against Akron this week. And then of course, SEC play begins Florida. That'll be a big game. Then the open week, and then it gets going for the rest of the SEC schedule. This has been Rocky Top Rewind. Brent Hubs, I'm Eric Kane. Awesome prices right there. Plenty to get into as we continue to move on throughout the week. Uh, continue to follow us on uh, on the uh, the YouTube channel by searching VolQuest. And of course, $1 for one year. I'm serious. I'm not lying. It's literally $1 for one year ball quest at the On3 Network. Hit the like button. Help this video get to 500 likes. And don't forget to tune in next Sunday night for another edition of the Rocky Top Rewind. Have a good Sunday night, everybody.